bow your heads in prayer with me. Father, we thank you this morning for the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. We thank you, God, that we have the opportunity to be in your house, to hear your word, and to hear your voice. I ask this morning that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I ask that you would anoint this congregation that as they hear the word, they might receive it as seed sown into the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Three reasons for our hope. How many of you have hope this morning? Many times as you look at life, life will toss some situations at you that would cause you to lose hope. When your favorite football team doesn't make it past a certain uh, place in the uh, playoffs, you might lose hope. When your favorite basketball team doesn't get beyond a certain point, you might lose hope, at least for a season. Maybe it's been more compli complicated than that. Maybe a doctor has told you there is no remedy for your situation or that you have cancer and there is a hopelessness and a despair that comes with news like that. Perhaps you have been uh, told by your spouse that they want a divorce and you hear the hopelessness that comes with that announcement, with that news. I don't know what might be the cause of the hopelessness that comes from time to time to our individual hearts, but I know this morning that there are many reasons for us to have hope. The Bible says that we are not as those who have no hope, meaning that our life, our, our Christian experience is uh, founded upon a foundation of an eternal hope that we have in God. And it's uh, found in the God of the Bible that we uh, read about this morning and are going to ex explore for these few moments together what it is that uh, this hope is for the human heart, which can be found only in God. And if you would just look at that verse for a moment, you'll find the first reason for our hope is that God cares and God carries. Say that with me. God cares and God carries. You see, the, the uh, prophet says this about God. He says, God is like a shepherd who will tend his flock. In his arms, he will gather the lambs and he will carry them in his bosom. And he will gently lead the nursing mules. What we hear there about God is a simple expression of the fact that like a shepherd who takes a baby lamb into his arms, so God has taken you into his arms and that he carries you close to his heart. I don't know if you realize this this morning, but God is carrying you close to his heart. God cares about you. You might feel like sometimes that your life is out of control or that you have lost a sense of, of what is going on in your world. But let me just remind you that because you have put your faith in God, that you are in the tender arms of a loving shepherd who cares for your soul. Many times as we read the Gospels, we read about Jesus. And many times the Gospel uses this phrase that Jesus was moved to compassion. He was moved to compassion. He was moved to care for the people. And there are many different reasons why he was moved. And I want to just mention some of them to you this morning and to see what was the result of this compassion. In Matthew 
chapter 9, verse 37, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd, being dispersed, and they were being put into despair. And what was his response? His response was compassion. And the result of that compassion was this. Jesus said that the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the vineyard. What we see there about the compassion of Jesus is that he was moved to prayer. He was moved to intercession. I want, to know, I want you to know this morning that God's concern and care for you has moved his son Jesus into a place of intercession for you. You may, you may say, nobody's praying for me. Yes, there is somebody that's praying for you. Jesus, the great high priest of your soul, is praying and is interceding for you. The Bible said that he ever lives and is always seated at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for you. Your mama might forget to pray for you, but Jesus is praying for you, friend. In fact, the only reason you and I are still here this morning is because we have an intercessor seated before the throne of God who prays and advocates for our soul on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. Somebody give God praise for his son. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14, we read that Jesus was moved with compassion and what was his response? His compassion moved him to begin to heal the sick. He began to bring physical healing to those who were bound by a, the in, spirit of infirmity. Can I tell you this morning, as I told you last week, that the power of God is present. Every time we gather together as the body of Christ, he is present to heal in our midst. That God is a healer and he's still healing today. You say, Pastor, what does he heal? God heals the physical infirmities of man. He also heals the brokenness of man's heart. He heals the emotional wounds of man's life. He heals the broken mind and the disturbed soul. And he can do that for you this morning because he cares for you. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, again it says that Jesus was moved with compassion Except on this occasion, it says that Jesus, being moved with compassion, began to teach. Now, that, that word right there is very important, that he began to teach. Because, you see, the compassion of Jesus, the care that he has for you and I, not only moves him to work miracles on our behalf, and thank God that he does, but there is a step beyond miracles. And that is a place where you and I need to come to, that is a place of growth a place of maturity and we need to be taught by the Lord and when God teaches us it is an act of compassion on God's part it is God teaching us so that we can grow and mature I have a nephew who loves to play video games except that from time to time he will ask me to play with him now I am not a video game guy all right I read books that's what I do and uh, some of the young people in here are saying, books, what are that? What's that? Well, that's what, I, that's what I do with my spare time. I read books. And my nephew, sometimes, he would say, Uncle Isaac, let's play this game. I said, I don't know how to play that game. He says, it's real easy. 
and he'll give me three basic instructions. This button does this, this button does this, and this button does that. And that is all the help I'm going to get from him. For the rest of the game, he's whooping up on me because he's not willing to teach me any more of the game than that. And you might say, well, you know, I feel that way sometimes because I don't feel like I can win at life. Well, let me tell you, friend, God is a teacher who will stick with you every step of the way, and he won't let life just whip on you, but he will teach you how to overcome and how to be victorious. And that is an act of his compassion. It's an act of his grace. So this morning, the prayer of your heart might need to be, Lord, heal me. But another prayer would be just as important would be, Lord, teach me. Say that with me this morning. Lord, teach me. Because you see, when we learn from him, we grow. Jesus said, take and learn of me. And he's telling us this morning, I want to be your teacher. I want to be the one who guides you and who teaches you in this life. In Mark chapter 8, verse 2 through 8, we see Jesus expressing his compassion yet again. It says that he was, he was moved with compassion and he began to feed the multitude with a few fish and a few loaves. And then in Luke chapter 19, verse 41 through 42, we read that Jesus was moved with compassion and he began to weep over the city of Jerusalem. And he said to them, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often, like a hen, I would have collected you under my wings. But you did not know the day of your visitation. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because he understood that they had missed the moment. They had missed the day of their visitation. Can I tell you, friend, that God cares so much for you that he doesn't want you to miss your moment. He doesn't want you to miss the day of your visitation. He wants you to know this morning that he loves you, that he wants to save you, that he wants to deliver you, and that he wants to be a part of your life, and he wants to give you eternal life. Jesus cares for you. Many times, God has wept over people who have missed their opportunity, who have this missed their moment. Friend, don't miss your moment. Say yes to God when you hear him call. Jesus was moved with compassion, and he's moved with compassion still because he cares for you. How does he care for me, preacher? Psalm 103, verse 3 says this, As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. Listen to the word of God this morning. As a father has compassion for his children, so God has compassion for those who fear him. And he, why does he have compassion? It says, for he himself knows our frame and is mindful that we are made of dust. Why does God have compassion on us? Because he knows our weakness. He knows that we are just men and women made from the dust of this earth and so he shows his compassion toward us and his care for our souls now knowing that God is compassionate and caring is one thing but the Bible tells us something that we have to do with that knowledge it gives us an instruction that you and I have to follow it says in first Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 cast your cares on him because he cares for you you see, God cares for you, friend. He cares about you. He cares about the simple 
and insignificant affairs and situations of your life. And he wants you to cast your cares upon him. He wants you to give to him the burdens and the anxieties of your soul. He says in Psalm 55 verse 22, cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. And he will never allow the righteous to be shaken. It's as if this morning you're seated across the table from the Lord. And he says to you, are you burdened? Are you weary? Are you carrying fears and worries and anxieties? Just slide them across the table and give them to me. Because I care for you. He says, cast your cares upon the Lord. That word cast is a word that, that is used to describe how a blanket is thrown over a horse uh, before a saddle is placed on him. Or how a blanket is thrown over a donkey. So God says, cast your cares like a blanket over a horse. Cast your cares onto me because I care for you. I know how to bear the burden of your soul. Listen, friends, I've seen many times where people will come to the altar and they're burdened down. They have all of the baggage of life. They have their, their, their soul burdened down and their body is burdened down. And they lay down their, their uh, baggage before God. And they feel the relief of being in the presence of God. They say, oh, this is so great. I feel so good. I feel so free. I feel so uh, relieved. And then as soon as the moment of prayer is over, they pick up their baggage again and they take it on back home. No, friend, you have to cast your cares upon God and leave it with him because he cares for you and he can carry your burden more than you can carry it yourself. Now, here's what I want you to know. Casting your cares upon God is an act of faith. Somebody say faith. For you to trust God with your cares is going to require faith. It's going to require you to trust God. It's going to require you to believe that God can handle this situation. That God can meet this need. It, it is hard sometimes to walk away from a problem. It's hard sometimes to walk away from a situation and just trust God. But that's what he's telling you to do this morning. He's saying, trust me with it. Put it in my hands. Have faith in God. It's going to require faith, friend. But when you engage your faith, God will show up in your life. God will manifest himself mightily on your behalf. Uh, now, casting our cares is not only an act of faith. But it is also an act of prayer. This is what the Bible says. It says, be anxious for nothing. For what? Let's try that again. Be anxious for what? Nothing. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. God says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, pray. In everything, seek God. In everything, talk to God. And when you pray, you cast your cares upon God. And you say, Lord, I can't carry this anymore. I'm leaving it in your hands. Maybe you have a rebellious teenager. And instead of harping on him all the time, God says, just give him to me. Let me handle that boy. Let me handle this situation. Maybe you have an unbelieving husband, an unbelieving wife. Instead of just harping on him all the time and telling him, you got to go to church. You're a rascal. You're going to go to hell when you die. Just leave all that aside and just say, I am going to give you to God, all right? God is going to take care of things. God is going to handle it. Now, when you do that in prayer, 
You give that to God. The Bible says something will happen. The peace of God which surpasses human knowledge. The kind of peace you can't buy at a bar. The kind of peace you can't get through illicit relationships. The kind of peace your friends can't give you. The peace of God. It is a lasting peace. It is an eternal peace. It is an enduring peace. The peace of God, he says, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's the thing. I want you to notice. Your heart and your mind. What do the doctors tell us? They tell us that worry affects our mind and it affects our heart. Now here the Bible is talking about the spiritual heart of man. But I just want you to think about the fact that when you carry your worries around, you're actually affecting your physical heart as well. You're affecting your physical body. Not only that, but you're affecting your mind. And sooner or later, when you carry around the stress of worry and, and fear and anxiety, it's going to wear your body down. It's going to wear your physical man down, and it's going to wear your spiritual man down. So God says, you can't carry this. Listen, God didn't make you to carry problems. God says to you, I didn't make you strong enough for that. I have made you simply to hand it over to me, to give it to me. And when you give it to me, I'll bear it, I'll carry it, and I'll give you my peace. I'll give you my presence instead. Say amen, somebody. Now, not only does it require faith, and not only does it require that you and I pray, but casting our cares upon God is an act of obedience. How many of you are obedient? How many of you like following orders? I ran out of amens this morning. The amens are gone. Nobody likes to follow orders. But you know, this is an order. This is an instruction. God doesn't say, if you like, cast your cares on me. He says, cast your cares upon me. He's giving you and I an order, an instruction. He's telling us, you need to obey me on this. You need to trust me and obey that I am going to do this in the best way that it needs to be done. And that act of obedience, friend, it may be hard. It may be as though you feel that you are, that you are uh, failing even because you're not solving this problem yourself. But God says, you can't handle this. Cast it upon me. I care for you. I'm going to solve this problem in your life. You've done all that you could. You've done all that you should. Now give it to God. Let God handle it. Let God care about it because he cares for you. Is there an obedient church in the house of God this morning? Now, because this is an order, when I give the instruction or the invitation to the altar this morning, I expect everybody in here who's bearing some baggage to come and leave it at the altar and leave it at the altar. Don't take it home. Don't chew on it over lunch. Give it to God and let God handle it. Say amen, somebody. Now, here's the second thing I want you to know. Second reason for our hope is that God promises and God performs. Say that with me. God promises and God performs. You know that God is a promise maker. All through the Bible, you read promises from God. Some scholars say there are as many as 7,000 promises. Others about uh, 3,000 promises. I'm not exactly sure how many promises there are. But I happen to find promises in every verse of the Bible. God is making a promise to you and I in his word. Now what is a promise except it is God revealing to us what he intends to do in our life. Think about that. A promise is God's intent 
for your life. And so when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he's telling you, I intend to be with you all the days of your life. And when he says, call upon me and I will answer, he's, intent he's telling you, I'm intending to answer when you call and to deliver you in the day of trouble. So God is a promise maker. But here's the question I want to ask or put in, in our minds for a moment. Because I ask myself this question. Why does God make promises? Wouldn't it just be easier to do the thing that he is talking about instead of promising it to us? Well, here's a very simple reason why God makes promises. First of all, because uh, God uh, has uh, required that you and I would please him by faith. Nobody can please God outside of faith. And so God gives us his promise, his word, so that our faith can be built up, so that our faith can grow. You know, the Bible said that faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. Now listen, you can spend all week listening to gossip. It's not going to grow your faith. You can spend all week listening to the news. It's not going to grow your faith. The only thing that will grow your faith is the word of God. That's why this morning, I'm glad that you didn't stay in bed. I'm glad you didn't sleep in. I'm glad you didn't stay in your pajamas and eat, uh, and eat cereal. I'm glad you came to the house of God. Why? Because the word of God will produce faith in your life. And that faith will release miracles and the power of God into your life. Say amen, somebody. So you and I have come into the house of God and God's word, God's promises to us are able to produce faith in us. And that faith is what pleases God. Now another reason why God gives us promises is this, is that God's provision is in the promise. Now I have discovered that this is the hardest principle for some people to grasp. But I want you to say it with me. God's provision is in the promise. Now, if God said to Peter, Peter, you can walk on water, the provision was not in the water or in Peter's ability to walk on the water. It was in the word that he gave to Peter. And the word of God isn't in and of itself the provision. So if God says, I am going to meet your needs, your need is as good as met. The facts don't matter anymore because God has put his word on it. Say amen, somebody. And the, the word of God will produce the thing that God has spoken. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Well, if you read Genesis chapter 1, you'll know it too. In the beginning, God said, let there be light and there was light. He spoke the firmament and there was a firmament. He spoke a moon and there was a moon. He spoke stars and there was a star. He spoke a man and there was a man. Every time God speaks, his provision is in his promise. Say amen, somebody. So you've got to get to know God's promise. You've got to get to know God's word because God's provision is manifest already in his word. And when you and I take that word to heart, we're able to receive it. This is what Peter says. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He says, For in these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Listen to that. God's granted to you his precious and magnificent promises so that you might become a partaker of the divine nature. What does that mean? It means that God has given you his promise so that by believing his promises, you might partake of the things that God has promised over your life. 
Now, God is a promise maker, but God is also a promise keeper. Say amen, somebody. Now, if I, if I ask you, are you a promise keeper? Some of you might have to come to the altar this morning and repent because you haven't kept some of your promises. I know some kids that their parents told them we're going to take you to Disneyland, and they're 30 years old already having gone to Disneyland. And they're wondering, when is this promise going to be fulfilled in my life? Can I just tell you, God is not like that. God is a promise keeper. God performs his word. This is what the Bible says in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should change his mind. What he has spoken, that will he do. And that which he has spoken, he will perform. In another place, the Bible says in, in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, God cannot lie. Say that with me. God cannot lie. In Hebrews 6, 18, it says, it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to make a promise and then break that promise to you and I. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12 says that God watches over his word to perform it. God looks over his word to make sure that every word of his is fulfilled in our life and that it is fulfilled as we express our faith toward him. Now you ought to understand this though. The promises of God are like an unborn baby. They have to be carried to term. And when it's the right time, God himself will be the obstetrician and give birth to that thing that he has promised into your life. And he'll make sure that you don't miscarry and he'll make sure that you don't abort his promise in your life. Say amen, somebody. Because he is faithful to his word. In fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says that God has exalted his word above his name. What does that mean? That means that God has guaranteed his word with his name. Now think for a moment, how holy is the name of God? The name of God is so holy, there's a commandment about not taking it in vain. And Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, holy or hallowed be thy name. But now we read in the Bible that God says that he has put something above his name, and that is his word. And that if he were to violate his word, his name would lose its, uh, its holiness. It would lose its essence. God says to you and I, I have made promises in my word, and I will keep those promises because I put my name on it. Just like that little guarantee on the box of goods that you buy. God says, I have put my name on my word. For this reason, Jesus said, from now on, when you pray, pray like this. He said, when you ask God for anything that is according to my will, ask it in my name, and it will be done unto you. Listen, friends, if you go to God and you say, God, in the name of Kingsway Church, I ask you to do this. Nothing's going to happen for you. If you say, God, in the name of the Reverend Pastor Isaac De Los Santos, I ask you to do this, that thing ain't going anywhere, friend. But if you go to God and you say, in the name of Jesus, God will answer your prayer because God has put his name on his word. I shared with you before, but I love this story about a little boy who was in the grocery store, and he wanted some cookies. And he said, Mama, can I have some cookies? She said, no. And they went down another aisle. He asked again, can I have some cookies? She said, no. 
Finally, they're about to check out. All hope was about to be lost. And he said, Mama, can I have some cookies? She said, no. He said, in the name of Jesus, buy me some cookies. And everybody in that store that heard him bought him some cookies that day. Can I tell you that God will honor his word? The name of Jesus has power. Say amen, somebody. The name of Jesus has power. God will honor your faith as you come to him in the name, in his name, which he has said above his word. Now, here's the last thing I want to tell you this morning, and that is that God forgives and he forgets. Somebody say that with me. God forgives and he forgets. You've got to know this this morning. God cares about you. And God will keep his promises to you. But you see, you've got to know this too. God forgives. Now you might say, Pastor Isaac, why do I need God's forgiveness? I really haven't done that many bad things in my life. Well, the Bible said that if we have broken even one of the points of God's law, that we're guilty of the whole thing. And so every one of us is in need of forgiveness. The Bible said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. From the preacher to the last person in the church, every one of us has sinned before God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are separated from God. And we need God's forgiveness, church. Why? Because, first of all, without God's forgiveness... You're going to have to live with the guilt and shame of your sin here in this life. And a life filled with guilt is not a good life. A life filled with guilt is always going downward. It is a life of, of, of constant descent. And friend, the sadder part of that is this. That if you don't get God's forgiveness in this life, then you'll enter into the next life without hope and without God. What a tragedy to spend your earth life separated from God and to spend eternal life separated from God in the place the Bible calls hell. Today, God says to you, I am a forgiver of sins. God forgives. You say, well, who does he forgive, Pastor? Well, he forgives everyone who will repent of their sin. The Bible said that if you will confess your sin to God, that God is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. That's God's eternal promise to you and to, to me. He says, I'll forgive your sin no matter how great, no matter how numerous, no matter even how old that sin is. I will forgive it. I will wash it away. I'll do away with it if you will confess your sin to me. Now, friend, even if you're a Christian, you and I need the forgiveness of God. Every single day, I, will, I, I wake up and I go to bed saying, Lord, forgive me for my sins. You might say, Pastor Isaac, do you think that I, that I need God's forgiveness? Yes, friend, you do. And I'll tell you this, God will forgive you every single day. And if you will come to him as you walk with him daily and just say, Lord, forgive me. Wash me clean. clean. He'll make you clean every single day so that you can walk in, in victory over sin in your life. You say, Pastor, how does God forgive? It's so much that I've done. He's so holy. I'm so unrighteous. How could God possibly forgive me? This is how he did it. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to the cross. And on the cross, God put his, his uh, uh, son on that cross who was holy and righteous. And your sin and my sin was put on Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus shedding his blood was able to forgive us of our sins. 
and he died, in fact, so that you and I could have the forgiveness of God. On that cross, Jesus prayed for you, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this morning, if you will come to God through Jesus, you can have the, the, the forgiveness of your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, friend, the blood of Jesus still cleanses sinners. He is still able to cleanse the conscience from dead works so that you can serve the living God. You say, Pastor, when does God forgive sin? The moment you confess it, the moment you repent of it, it is forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Jesus, never to be brought up against you again. When I was in Chile several years ago, I was uh, traveling with some preachers, and on this particular, uh, in this particular country, they do a lot of hitchhiking, and it's very common to hitchhike, and it's very common to pick up hitchhikers. So we picked up a hitchhiker on the road, and uh, what he didn't realize was he got into a van full of preachers, so his ship was sunk. You know, we started preaching to him, witnessing to him, and telling him about God's love and care for his life. And that man gave his life to Jesus. And this, this thing that he said stuck with me all these years. He said, I feel so clean. He said, I feel like I just got out of the shower. Friends, that's what Jesus Christ does. When you confess your sin to him, the blood of Jesus cleanses you. It washes you. It makes you new. It makes you brand new. And makes you as though you had never sinned before. Now, God not only forgives, but he forgets. He forgets. This is what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 29. I, says God, yes, I alone will blot out your transgression for my sake, and I will never think about it again. What a promise. God says, I will never think about it again. When I think about my past sins, I have to remember, Isaac, stop thinking about it. If God's not thinking about it, why should you? If God doesn't remember it, why should you? Leave it in his care. Leave it in his hands. Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12 says this, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love of God toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your sin and transgression from you. Think about that. The east will never catch the west. And God says, as far as I have removed the east from the west, so have I removed your sin and my sin from you. And see, friend, in Micah chapter 7, verse 19, God says this. He will again have compassion on us. And he will tread out your iniquities under his feet. Yes, he will cast all of your sins into the deepest part of the sea. Think about that. God says, I will bury your sin at the bottom of the sea. You know how deep the sea is? Scientists tell us that we could bury Mount Everest in the deepest part of the sea and there would still be a mile of water left to spare. Are you telling me that God can, can't forgive you, friend? God can take a whole Mount Everest worth of your sin and bury it in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and still have room and to spare. God can forgive and God forgets. And they also tell us that the pressure at that, at that depth of the sea is like holding Two t uh, uh, one ton or 2,000 pounds of pressure on your little finger. 
That's how much pressure it is down there. What I'm telling you, I'm telling you, no one's going to bring it back up. What's been buried by God is buried for good. What's been buried by God is buried eternally. God forgives and God forgets. And this morning, he wants you to know that. He wants you to know that he cares for you. He wants you to know that he cares for you personally, individually. Whether you are a young man or young lady, a child or a teenager, God cares about you. He cares about that exam you're going to take this week. He cares about the dreams you have for college. He cares about the plans that you have for your future. God cares about you. Whether you're trying to buy a house or just get through the day, God cares about you too, sir. He cares about you, ma'am. He cares about you, friend. God cares for you. And he says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. I'm going to keep my promises to you. I'm going to keep my word to you. Just like he told Jacob. He's told me and he tells you this morning. I will not let you go until I have fulfilled every word that I have spoken over your life. And I believe God this morning. I believe him and I trust him on that promise. And he says to you, I'll forgive you of your sin. You see, friend, maybe this morning there is a need in your life for God's forgiveness. Whether you have never been in a church before or not doesn't matter. Whether you understand all the Bible or not doesn't matter. All that you need to understand is this. Sinners need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And if you will believe in him and trust in him, he'll save you today. He'll make you whole. He'll make you clean. Will you say yes to Christ this morning? Will you make him the Lord of your life? Don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't say, I'll do that next Sunday. The Bible says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You say, Pastor, how do I know I'm hearing the voice of God? It's that inner feeling in your, in your spirit right now that's telling you that preacher's talking to you. You're the one that needs forgiveness. And that voice is the voice of the Spirit of God saying, it's time for you to say yes to Christ. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. If you would stand with me, please. I'm going to make two invitations this morning. And I'm going to ask you to make a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. You and I need God's forgiveness. And it is available to us through simple faith in Jesus. This morning, he's calling to you because he loves you, because he cares for you. He's telling you, don't put it off. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't miss your moment. This is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. This is the day of decision for somebody. I'm going to ask the congregation, if you would bow your head, please. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, just start to pray. Because somebody in this room this morning is in, the, is in a moment of decision for their soul. They need to say yes to Christ. Would you just start to pray that God will get through, that the Holy Spirit will break through? Father, in the name of Jesus this morning, I ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to come and bring conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment on the church and on those who are in this building this morning. I ask you, God, to deliver people from their sins. I pray that you would raise up off of them the burden of the guilt of their past and let them know that there is a God who forgives 
and who forgets. I pray now in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would bring an understanding of the love of God to their heart. That they would come to know the love of God and the grace of God this morning in Jesus' name. Now if you say, Pastor Isaac, that's me you're talking about. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to say yes to Jesus. I need the forgiveness of my sins. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are so I can see it. If there's anybody in here, I see you back there. Anyone else this morning who says, that's me, preacher. I need God's forgiveness. I need God's grace. Then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Just let me know that's me. I want prayer. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I see you there. Anybody else? This is your day of decision. This is your time. Today, he's calling to you because he loves you, because he cares for your soul. Now, if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to come and stand with me at this altar. I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. Elders, would you come as well, please? But if you raise your hand, would you come and pray with me and with one of these elders? We're going to believe that God is going to do the work in your heart that only he can do. Now, maybe you're, you're thinking this morning, Pastor, I have some cares on my life. I have some burdens in my life. I want to give them to Jesus. I want to give them to God. Would you obey him this morning and say yes? This is the second invitation. Would you just pray with her, please? This is the second invitation to all the body of Christ who says, Pastor Isaac, I want to turn these things over to God. I want to leave them in his hands. Would you come and just fill this altar with faith? Come and cast your cares upon the Lord, whether they be big or small, whether they be great or small. Just give them to Jesus this morning. He cares for you. Obey him. Obey him this morning. Maybe you say, Pastor Isaac, there's a promise over my life that I'm waiting for. I want you to come into this altar this morning and just say, God, give me the grace to wait. Give me the grace to trust and to obey. Would you just come and fill this altar with faith this morning?